You're listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, at CFRC, 1019 FM, Queen's University Campus. Okay, Taylor, this is a big show. I'm so excited. And I'm really glad it's a big show because I have no energy today. <laughs> um, you're going to have to carry it, Taylor. This is all you and our fans. <sighs> you're carrying this episode. I don't Pressure. know what it is. You come out of a weekend and I don't know, for some reason I'm just feeling like, Ugh, I don't want to do anything. Even though this is the age of not doing anything right now because it's been months since we've been able of to do Of not doing things. anything. I know. <laughs> so you think that like it'd be the opposite, but I feel like my energy level is just going down. I don't know. It's something about a long weekend. Yeah. That, like, I know. Even though, like, things are closed, it still feels like a long weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow we're supposed to have um, a meeting. So our listeners know we pre-record. We actually record on Mondays and then we go up on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow being Tuesday, we're supposed to have a, a meeting for my work that we have every Tuesday. And my manager originally wanted to move it to Wednesday because she said, last time we had a meeting after a long weekend, it was such a bummer. Like everyone was just like, wah, <laughs> yeah, wah. And I think true, that's yeah. just like, that's the sense. Like, wah, wah, yeah. back to the grind, even though it's not the same grind as usual. No. But but it feels that way though, right? Like it's still, yeah. it still feels like a bit of a rest weekend and, and then you're kind of back to it and you're like, oh, right. I got to get back to things. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but why I'm excited and why you're excited is because it's a it's another mailbag episode, all fan questions, and we had a ma- this is the best response we've ever had. Yeah, uh, we've had a, a lot of people write in. We're going to hear from a lot of people now. I, I want to uh, I'm going to run through everyone's names now, just in case I start rapid firing questions. I want to make sure everyone gets some gets some credit here. So we have questions today from Nicole, Austin, Erica, Lily, Josh, of course, who wrote a pretty much a book uh <laughs> kathy anonymous tyler vance tiffany brandon and c have all cool. written in so those are the people who we will be hearing from we'll be hearing lots of questions from them but yeah there's so much that we're going to get going right away and i apologize at one point we might have to rapid fire these questions in just to get everybody in because i also want to talk about a netflix series that I watched and actually three fans wrote in about, but we'll get to that at the end. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about that right at the end. But uh, right now, let's do it. Fan question time. It's, 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 well, before you even say the questions, I just want to say, this is my favorite thing about the show. Really. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I love the fan questions. I love that we have fans that, that feel comfortable writing in. Because sometimes when you have a podcast or where even like I listen to a lot of things, I, I wouldn't necessarily think be able to think of things to write in about or, or things to ask and, and wouldn't necessarily – not like it, that it takes a lot of courage, but like it's even that, like I don't feel the courage to write in all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just happy that everyone feels so comfortable with us that they can write in questions and they like to engage. And yeah, it, it makes it interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now, now we, you can start. Now we can start with your friend, Nicole. Um, <laughs> okay. Who, who asked a very interesting question. If you could curate the soundtrack of your own biopic, what songs would you include? Nicole asked this over our Instagram feed. So uh, what do you think, Taylor? What, what would you include in your biopic? 
So I should, disclaimer, we've talked about our biopics before, like who would we cast in yep. each other's biopics. Yep. My life is not nearly interesting enough to right. be made into a movie. But like, I'm like, okay, let's say we were going to do this. I, I thought long and hard. So um, All Right by Supergrass for like general hijinks montages. I don't, uh, I don't know anything about music, so this is... Uh, yeah, I know, I this know is... I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> Keep going. I'm sure our um, listeners know. <laughs> Moon River, um, for any sort of, like, homesickness scenes, because I've spent a lot of time away from home now, and, like, my home is now Kingston, but, mm. you know, being away from my parents and everything, so Moon River for when I'm homesick. Right. This Time Tomorrow by The Kinks for any graduation scenes because I've graduated now if you count high school high school BA MA PhD I've had four graduations so you can <laughs> there should be at least one graduation in my um, biopic um honky cat by Elton John for when I'm living in DC um linger by the cranberries for my falling in love montage and then I thought alternatively um, I could do sort of like a Wes Anderson thing where like all the songs are Elton John songs, but they're actually sung in Russian because he does that for <laughs> right. um, Life Aquatic, which I'll talk about later. They're all David Bowie songs, but they're sung in Portuguese. Okay. So either like those songs that I've mentioned or just like, let's just go like very, you know, stylistic, all Elton John, but sung in Russian. Okay. Interesting. But sung in Russian. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Um, I, I struggled with this question. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I would think you couldn't even answer it, to be <laughs> well, honest. Well, I cheated a little bit. I'm not answering it the way Nicole wants to, or like what, like, if you could curate it, what songs. songs. Yeah, so what I did was I looked at a, a very specific composer um, okay. who has worked in the film industry. Now, I actually don't know if he's still alive. <laughs> and I, Hans Zimmerman? Like, no, it's not Hans Zimmerman. <laughs> no, no, it's not even anyone like prestigious. Like this guy's not. No, like you're you're giving me way too much credit here. So my life has been uh, very funny in a lot of ways, but um, the the sort of drama, if you will, comes into it uh, in my life in the same way that you would like in an in an action movie of the 90s that's like trying to be serious but it's just ridiculous right like to the outside observer it's hilarious but to me it's obviously not um so there's a composer named david arnold who was the composer of such uh 90s action flicks as independence day the terrible godzilla movie and the world is not enough which was one of the james bond movies now his most recent stuff for soundtrack he actually did casino royale soundtrack um as a composer so he he proved that he could do something a little bit different because that went well into the 2000s but he was also um a a composer and writer and and stuff for the sherlock series Okay. Um, so he he does a lot of music that is very much like epic, but has that lighthearted tone that you needed in the '90s to get through those kind of crazy action flicks. So I decided to choose a composer that I thought could could do the soundtrack to my life because I actually I I want to Titanic this. There will be no lyrics in my biopic, oh. right? So it, it, you're just left with Matt Damon 
um, or or skinny uh, Jonah Hill to <laughs> to kind of get through this action adventure that is my life, which to them it's very serious and dramatic, but to everyone else it's it's corny. Corny, exactly. Um, so yeah, that I choose. I don't think David that's Arnold cheating. For that. I don't think that's cheating. I think that's like a. Well, she asked for specific songs, so I feel like I can't really do that because, like, I would, I would be like, I don't know. I know a lot of like Will Smith music, like get tricky <laughs> with it. Like, I mean, we could throw that well, in. Well, again, there. like '90s action. <laughs> yes, exactly. Will Smith is not Will out Smith, of place. The '90s, I, I like, I like his kind of modest. Rap. Wild Wild West. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, very like very wholesome rap. <laughs> so I like I'm on it. Board for that as well. Yeah, so Will Smith could do like the song at the end credits for my biopic. <laughs> <laughs> like he, can, he can rap a song at the end and there you go there's a uh, yeah perfect um next question also came off of instagram from austin uh he said uh, how did you both get involved with this podcast do you want to go first um sure because uh, you're kind of like the papa of the podcast sure um i mean it's it, i mean i think we we both have a very interesting different story to how this even happened because i um uh, so i was hired uh, this was over two years ago um i don't work for cfrc anymore but i was hired to do sales and marketing for cfrc so i had a contract with them that started just before we actually started this podcast and one of the opportunities that you get at CFRC is anybody can start a radio show or a program and that's kind of the idea of the station is to give people experience doing you know radio broadcasting but also they can you can do what you want they give you a lot of freedom to create something so I um, I started that job oh, I don't know I think I started in like April of, of two years ago and I didn't start screening at Kingston till uh, the fall because I took kind of the summer to get to know the station a bit to get to know and, and study to actually do your job. Yeah, do my job and make sure I was situated <laughs> enough before I committed to a week long, you know, a weekly show. Because it is, it you know, it is a big commitment. It's, mm -hmm. it's, and and again, at that time, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. I just knew, oh, that would be really cool. I'd love to to start a radio show. Um, and then yeah, it just happened that I I thought about it more and and decided on uh, on movies because it was something that I've always loved and I've never been able to really do anything practical with my love of movies like I I was a big fan of of uh, certain uh, theater um, and stage plays for a long time and I was able to actually study it and, and do theater for a long time um, and I considered doing a theater-based podcast but for very many 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 reasons I thought that especially in Kingston that would be a bad idea um, so I, I decided I wanted to do a movie podcast I pitched it to the program coordinator at the time his name uh, was Ted uh, and uh, Ted gave the go-ahead and said yeah do it and it just so happened at the same time they were launching a podcast network so screening Kingston was going to be born as both a radio show and a podcast at the same time I thought that was important uh, to try to get uh, try to get out to the podcast network as well as being on, on the radio uh, which I'm glad we did because a lot of our fans clearly found us as a podcast and that's basically how how I kind of got involved, involved. In it and started but taylor i mean your, your story is interesting too because um how we kind of came to do this together i find is kind of an interesting thing yeah um so aparajita who we had on the show um two weeks ago now um she briefly worked for cfrc as well and she i should have mentioned that um when she was on the radio show as her interesting fact but oh yeah so <laughs> i, I Aparajita, didn't know she was there before yeah, yeah. Aparajita did a very brief um, sort of 
student um, study oh, work yes. of course. One of um, with CFRC, courses. and yeah. she was initially hired to be the pod po- podcast coordinator, mm-hmm. but this was um, a brand new position, and they essentially didn't tell Aparashita what she was supposed to do. Yeah. They said, <laughs> this is the position, go for it. So Aparashita spent sort of a term of school like trying to figure out what the job was, and she had mentioned to me, like, oh... I'm the new podcast coordinator um, for CFRC. Would you make a podcast? Because she was essentially trying to like recruit people. people. Recruit people. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Especially at the beginning as everyone was trying to figure things out. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, they're paying me to do this and I don't have anyone to make a podcast. So help me out. So um, I, as I had mentioned at the beginning of the show, don't have a very interesting life. And essentially... um, the only thing that I really know a lot about is movies because I'm a huge movie fan. So naturally, I had pitched, to, again, I assumed to the um, program coordinator, um, this is my pitch. I want to talk about movies kind of on a biweekly basis with one of my um, with one of my good friends. Um, and he had said, that's really great. Your show sounds amazing. But we already have someone who's pitched a movie show. Yeah. Which was Mike. Which is me. Who also worked there. Yes. (laughs) So it was kind of like, well, Mike's the top pick. But he had mentioned, you know, um, maybe this other person, a.k.a. Mike, would be interested on working, essentially blending the two shows. So I had contacted Mike. We met at the station. And we just, to me, it was just like, we're just two really big movie fans who want to essentially do the same thing, talk about movies. So the shows we were going to have, probably would have looked like this anyways I think like individually I I think that like the only thing that when we met that I kind of brought up that was important to me is I really wanted to make sure we had that local flair yeah um yeah that was something we both agreed upon like the screening room has been a big supporter we thought that that would be great and I kind of like where the shows evolved where at least before the quarantine we were kind of reviewing two shows a week making sure Mm -hmm. one that's only playing at the screening room and one that's playing at the multiplexes. So that was kind of a good system we worked into. But yeah, the minute I, I heard about you, like I definitely wanted to meet and go go over things because the one thing I learned from doing theater for that very long time is it's, it's better to create and grow something with other people than it is alone. It yeah. makes it easier to – not that we – I mean we haven't had any – controversial problems here and <laughs> knock on wood that, that, that we won't but but if anything ever happens and you're ever you're ever faced with things it's it's always better to have um, more people around and to be kind of felt supported in that so yeah I, I think we met once and we're just like let's give this a shot and then we did it I think like the week a week later yeah we did our first, we did our first show. show yeah yeah on air live yeah and it was just like we were ready like we were just like we just do- dove into it like it was just you know, it was it was one of those things that that the show itself does evolve, and I think that we found our groove. But it didn't take very long. I think a couple episodes in, we started to really get this same, you know, group going. I don't know. We're we're over ninety episodes now, or something like that. So that's pretty good. I like to think that whatever we're doing is working, yeah. even when it's not working. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think the biggest setback, like everyone's felt, is this this quarantine. I mean, we haven't yeah. been able to do anything, you know, new really, other than streaming stuff. And like, obviously, we're not recording in the same way we were before. But uh, you know, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> this is it. Um, next question comes from Erica, who writes in: What type of movie would you suggest for a first date? First this is- date movie. 
tricky because it's like, is this in quarantine or real life? <laughs> I would say don't. Can you go you shouldn't on a first be date in quarantine. Like not really. You shouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, again, it all depends upon where you are, right? I mean, I I get that like some places and over the next couple of weeks, I guess you could start dating again because things are going to slowly start to open, at least in, in Kingston and, and in Ontario. But but I don't know. Like, I yeah, I, I don't know if you can. I'm going to assume this is not quarantine. Yeah, this, this is, is under looking towards the future. Optimal circumstances. Yeah. Like you can actually hold hands yeah, and with your date. Like to me, a movie is not a good first date. And I think Agreed. I think we've talked about this on the show before because I, I think like a movie is like a third or a fourth date thing. Like to me, the first couple dates, you should be talking as much as possible. Um, and I think that like getting to know someone else and even giving you something to talk about is good. But I just think you have to sit in silence in a movie for like, two hours and that's not, to me that's not really conducive to connecting with someone um so i would avoid movies as a first date personally but I, yeah but but any suggestions for date movies in general taylor like do you have any thoughts so i took this as like you're just getting to know the person so like it might not necessarily be like your first first date first date but this is like the first movie the two first of you are going to watch date. together yeah. okay um and i think it really depends on the circumstances so number one for movie people who are really big movie buffs um i would recommend not using this as an opportunity to flex on your date oh definitely (laughs) definitely because i think like sometimes like i would say we are like you and i are movie buffs Mm -hmm. um fellow movie buffs sometimes have that um you can border on border on being a movie snob, yeah. which I just I hate personally. Yes. I do not like movie snobs. So um, I would say, you know, if you don't know the person very well, you're just getting to know them. Um, picking sort of a neutral comedy is kind of like the best way about going and doing things it shouldn't be your like favorite movie because you don't want to put someone in a situation where you're disappointed by their reaction to it like that early on why why ruin a potential good thing like don't don't make it your favorite movie or maybe first or maybe do and then you can weed out some bad candidates oh i don't know it's so awkward at the beginning of dating like i feel like you don't get a true reaction right away. Like to me, I, I maybe this is just a me thing. To me, the first until you get past that initial awkwardness, I feel like everything at the beginning can kind of be excused a little bit because I, I I feel like you're just getting to know each other. And you're not getting like true reactions. So I don't know. I would hold personally. Like take the pressure like, off. Yeah, I would take the pressure off and just be like, just movies that you kind of like find or yeah, like a comedy is good. Where it's just like this is okay. Like my my pick for this is Scott Pilgrim. Um, okay. Because Scott Pilgrim is. A kind of adventure movie a little bit quirky but still like grounded enough but a little stylized like it kind of has a little bit of everything in it um it's interesting because it was filmed in canada um and it just it's based me, on a canadian graphic novel graphic novel yeah and, and to me it it's got a little bit of everything for at least like i'm thinking like my generation or age bracket where you can kind of like appreciate the movie and it's not uh, it's not overbearing in any way in 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 my thoughts. So I feel like it's quirky enough, it's funny enough, but it's got action adventure enough. There's a bunch of like funny little cameos of actors you now know now who were younger then. So it's kind of like a neat thing, gives you things to talk about. And to me, it's the easiest movie to like break into conversation and then go back to the movie. 
Yeah. Because you, the, the concept's pretty simple and then you kind of know what's going on. So if it's like, oh my God, that's that's this person. Yeah, this, blah, blah, blah. Like it's a good way to still keep conversation going. So I actually kind of go against my own advice with the movies I picked. <laughs> Did you? Oh, none of them are like lighthearted comedies? <laughs> I picked Heathers or True Romance. Oh, actually, Heathers for, would be great. For yeah. very, very similar reasons for why you picked Scott Pilgrim. Mm. You know, you have a little bit of action. You have a little bit of romance. You know, it's a, a dark sense of humor. So I picked Heathers or True Romance because I think it reflects my movie taste as well as my personality without like without being with while still being accessible to someone who maybe isn't as into movies as I am. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but like, are those neutral comedies? Nope. No, <laughs> but like, <laughs> they're not, <laughs> but like, I, I know who I am and I stand by my taste. So that's why I still ended up picking like Taylor movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know, like I'm almost thinking like if you really want to play it safe, like, pick one of our movies that we consider like an airplane watching movie. Yeah, an airplane movie for sure. And again, I, I don't think, I think mixing in a little bit of like romance or like a romantic comedy is actually good. Like just if you want to keep the ambiance to a date, like a, you can mix in a little thing, but just don't go, just don't go hardcore with it. Like go with one of those middle ground movies. I think that's great advice that whatever we suggest you listen, watch on an airplane, watch that on a date. Because it's easy for you to talk and go back to it and, and you can, you know, it's, there's no pressure to figure out. Because, I, I mean, I, I'm i very mindful of my my movie watching and, and if if I'm with somebody who I don't know what their, their interest level in movies is, you don't want to choose something that's too conceptual. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want you to be, you don't want to be watching The Favorite and not know. Oh, what did Nicole see? That's. Space movie, I think she Ad saw Astra? on a first date. I think she saw Ad Astra on a first date. That's see again. That to me, that's a little much. <laughs> like that's like that's that's something that's like tough. that. I think my favorite like date story movie that that I've I've been a part of is is when I went to see. Now again, this is going back to last year, but when I went to see Stan and Ollie. Uh, it was the religious this. talk, yes, right? I took a date, and it was it was a religious talk, and I didn't realize until after. And she kind of looked at me and was like, "What is this?" I'm like, "I, I is, I don't know. <laughs> like, I didn't plan this. this is nothing." She's at like, all. "This guy is trying to convert me." Yeah, and it, just, it was, like, and I can't remember the name of the group because it was a group that like. It's a series. Yes. It's like Sunday, and it's like supported the, by this this group that that supports these Sunday series talks. And the name of the series itself isn't, like, overtly religious. No. But then when you read about it on um, on the Screening Room's website, yeah. it does say, like, we foster conversations about spirituality. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. like... And when they gave their little so intro, honest mistake. they were, like, it, it was clear it was very religious. <laughs> so I was, like, oh, no. So, like, that, I, to me, you want to avoid those type of scenarios. Again, it depends. It, you know, may, maybe the the people you're with will find out those types of things funny. Um, it's always nice. To or if you're super religious yeah, and the true. other person's that's super true. religious, then maybe it great. Works. Yeah, that's a great first date. But again, like to that, to that, like, I don't know if I going back to our movie club, I don't know if I would recommend, you know, the, some of the films that we had in that is like a first date movie, depending because, because again, you're looking at, to me, those four movies were all ends of spectrums. And I, I like to stick in the middle to, you know, keep it very light, keep it mm-hmm. very, you know, yeah, something you would watch in an airplane. And also, you know, 
if maybe you're very much into this person and you think there might be some smooches, watch a movie that you don't mind smooching through. Uh, during you know a what movie, I mean? Taylor, come on. <laughs> come on. Sacrilegious right there. You know, I just want to I want to appeal to the common denominator. Like, oh. you know, not everyone holds movies as sacred as we do. Yeah, we got, I'm, no, no makeouts during a movie. Come on. Smooches. Um, <laughs> not to, yeah, I just thought of another one actually. Crazy Rich Asians would be another good uh, a good movie for that because it's um, it's got the romance side, but it is also very funny. Um, and is that's an easy movie to jump in and out of? Yeah, like just I would say, you know, forgetting Sarah Marshall, yep, like all of really those good, kind oh, of that's just a great movie. <laughs> just that's like a really good movie. yeah, just like nice middle of the line comedies. We're basically where... saying stay away from her smell, and you're fine. And like Mandy. And Mandy, yeah. (laughs) You know. Unless like you know you're going on a date with like a huge movie buff. Yeah. And then like taking Tyler Vance out, then you know where to go. You're trying to wine and dine (laughs) Mr. Vance or Nicole. You're you're trying to ruin Tyler Vance's marriage. Marriage. (laughs) By taking him to uh, her smell with a with a I don't know, a talk from the director at the end or something. I don't know. Uh, moving on, uh, Lily uh, writes in, um, I'm looking for a movie to introduce Wes Anderson to someone who hasn't seen a single one of his movies. Any recommendations um, to the Wes Anderson film that is best to introduce Wes Anderson to someone who has never seen one of his films? Um, Taylor, I give the floor. I picked Life Aquatic. Um, it stars Bill Murray. I mean, Bill Murray's in a lot of Wes Anderson movies, but this is like, this movie is very much a Bill Murray vehicle. Um, and he is well-loved. Like, I think most people enjoy Bill Murray as an actor. Um, so I think Life Aquatic, I would say, is the most accessible in that, like, it's still super stylized in the Wes Anderson way, but the plot, um it's really action driven. Like there's still like, there's like the, some of the other Wes Anderson movies, like the plot isn't as um, sort of demanding of the audience. Like it's kind of like a slow burn almost. Like I, I don't find the plot lines boring, but for someone who isn't used to that type of storytelling, um, sort of that like character analysis and stuff analysis and stuff they might find his movies a little slow and I feel like Life Aquatic out of all of them the story is very you know it's, it's moving quickly there's a lot of things happening there's pirates you know there's a rival um, sea explorer like there's a lot um, going on in the story so for that reason I think it's a good introduction to Wes Anderson if someone's never seen any of his stuff like you can be like this looks and feels like a Wes Anderson movie, but in terms of storyline, I would say that it's the most, um, like the most meaty in a way. Yeah. I'm trying to say, like, because yeah, yeah. I has the most to it. Like, there's, yeah. there's layers to that story. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, if I told someone, "Oh, let's," you know, you've never seen Wes Anderson, and I'm gonna like, you have the option of watching a movie about a dog island two 13-year-olds who fall in love, a hotel. Like, <laughs> on face value, that doesn't sound very riveting. <laughs> Whereas, like, if you describe the plot of Life Aquatic, you're like, oh, yeah, that that has, like, a lot to it. So um, even though I find all of his stories super interesting, 
Um, I think if you're not used to that storytelling, Life Aquatic will be the most um, riveting, okay, kind of like was, off the top. That was actually going to kind of be my question because, I mean, clearly Lily thinks um, you need kind of um, uh, an introduction to him. But do, do you agree? Like, is, is Wes Anderson someone that is hard to get get into? Like, is it hard for people to wrap their heads around him sometimes? Personally, I would say no, but I'm also unbiased. But I did ask Dan. Dan um, enjoys Wes Anderson, but I wouldn't say is like a, a, as big of a fan as I am, but sure. like he certainly enjoys the movies. Yeah. His answer was Life Aquatic or Grand Budapest Hotel. And his answer was because those are the best. Oh, <laughs> so the best. like, so the best. Yeah. yeah, but like his answer is kind of right. He had said like, you know, any of them yeah. really was kind of, he said his exact words were any of them, but Bottle Rocket, well, which I is would, Wes Anderson's first one. I would be fascinated to hear from Lily. To, to I mean, Lily obviously knows whoever this is that, that she's introducing Wes Anderson to, but, um, you know, is there a particular reason why you feel a little introduction is needed? I, again, I don't know. I mean, I, Wes Anderson is not someone that I, I mean, it's not like I, follow his career as I'm not as big of a fan as you are but I've watched most of his movies and I've never really found it difficult to get into um, but if there is something in there let us know I'd be very fascinated to see kind of what you were thinking were some of the concerns but if Life Aquatic is maybe a good option to start with Grand Budapest Hotel is also fantastic like I think it's that it's also has like a movies. pretty like the plot is quick moving like there's yeah. a lot of like I don't mean like action in the sense of like explosions but just action in like the true definition like things happening yeah you know what i mean like definitely. there's there's things like moving the plot forward in life aquatic and grand budapest hotel that's true that's not to say that like things aren't moving the plot forward in um moonrise kingdom but again like if all you watch and this isn't like an insult to anyone but if you're only if the only movies you watch are marvel movies right right like Wes Anderson is a completely different film world. No, definitely. And so I wouldn't be no, like, right. oh, go go watch Fantastic Mr. Fox. Right. right. No, you're right. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe that's what Lily means. Maybe it's someone who is um, very much has their style of movie they like to watch, and she's branching. They only watch movie. Adam Sandler. That's true. And you're right. That would be a very, <laughs> you're right. Like, again, like I agree with you. It's not to be insulted to anyone. It's different. Like, if you only watch Adam Sandler comedies, Wes Anderson would be a completely different thing. Like, it'd be completely yep. different in terms of the style of filmmaking. No, you make up a good point. But, yeah, Lily, please let us know. I, I would love to uh, to know kind of your thoughts on this as well. And if you end up uh, introducing them with um, with the Life Aquatic. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Josh is up next, and he, he's got some lots of questions here because he, said, he starts his email by saying, Oh, hey, Michael, you challenged me to bring my A-game with these questions, and I brought it. And by A-game, he, I guess, meant volume because there's a lot. <laughs> So, Taylor, we're going to just wrap uh, up. Quantity these. over quality? I, well, we'll see about quality. I mean, he, he spelt something wrong in here, but that's fine. I'm, I've, I've changed that for him, so I'll, uh, I, won't, uh, I won't embarrass him too much on the podcast. But uh, we'll rapid fire through these and give our okay. answers because there are a lot, but I want to get through um, them if, if we can. Just going to be mindful of our time. Okay, here we go. These are all from Josh to both of us. What do you think the future of cinema movie experience will be post-virus? Will television and streaming services take over? I think um, I'm seeing a lot of headlines of the return of the drive-in, mm -hmm. which is interesting um, in the Kingston community because our drive-in literally just I closed. Just closed, <laughs> and I just I I wish I had money. 
Because I, I to would, buy it. Oh, I would run out of drive-in movie theater without a doubt, Taylor. I mean, that would especially. I I actually agree with you. I think this will be the future for the short term. Uh, I think they they will get an opportunity to to release movies to drive-ins uh, across North America and probably the world. Um, and I do think like drive-ins would be a great way to to settle this because you don't have to have contact with anybody to to go to a drive-in movie. So yeah, I I wish. Oh, if I had money. Um, I would definitely buy it, and, and I think Kingston's a great community for it. Even though it's small, if the screening room has proved anything, you can there, there's a, a there's a demand for that, for that type of thing. There's want and demand for movies. So, so that's I think, um, and I think we're we're already seeing a transition to streaming services. Um, I think this will definitely. Um, uh, accelerate yeah. that, yeah. but I think there's always going to be a place for m- movies. Um, the studios are just going to ha- have to adapt yes. um, how they're going to show those movies. Yes, and you know, increasingly, it's showing that like streaming is the future. Like the whole debate over the Trolls movie, right? Yeah. That. You oh, know, yes, yeah, AMC Theater versus Universal. And, and Universal said, you know, we've made more money streaming Trolls than I think. I didn't look at the stats, but it, it, I mean, this might be completely wrong, but I have a feeling they made more money streaming the sequel than it made, than the first one made in theaters. I did see something that was similar to that. So I think that's probably around correct, yeah. But like either way, like they made they made money hand over fist yeah. just by streaming this alone. And timing, right? They came out at the right time. Kids, especially when you're, you're home with kids, you need something new. You can pop on a new movie like that. I mean, of course, like I, so that doesn't surprise me at all. And I, I think people will, um, continue to, even if they can't stream it, they'll, they'll rent it. So, um, that it will, I think how they'll make movies will have to change because those, um, those directors who, you know, were, who said, I still make movies for the big screen. Well, now you're going to have to make movies for 13 inch laptops. Well, it's adapt or die, right? I mean, I don't think that the movie industry is going anywhere. And I, I, you know, maybe, maybe there will be less movie theaters, but movie theaters, I still think are going to exist the same way that stage theater still exists, the same way that radio still exists. When something new comes in, it doesn't always necessarily replace something old. You just have to adapt to it or you'll be kind of left behind. So I couldn't agree with you. I think, I think streaming is going to continue to be big. I think there's a huge future there. But I also think that um, there's an opportunity here for drive-ins to to at least make a resurgence. Yeah, at least for the short term. And once you get into something, even if it's only two years that say this lasts, and then after a two-year period, things start to really move back to normal. Then you're you're in people's minds. You're 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 part of people's routines. And by that point, I think you'll see people still continue to go to drive-ins. Um, moving on, uh, is there a movie that you really enjoyed watching the first time, but since watching it again, you've begun to enjoy it less or even begin to hate it? I'm not a great, um, rewatcher. Like there's a handful of movies that yes, I've watched to the point where like I've broken the DVD. Yes. Um, but for the most part, like I'm not like. I watch a movie, think it's really great. I might even buy it on DVD. There's a ton of DVDs I have that I've never rewatched, really? but I just own. Oh wow! Um, um, but there is one movie I've like racked my brain. Um, Easy A. We watched that to death in high school, and like increasingly, like as we were rewatching it, I got like less and less enjoyment out of it. Right, right. Not that like 
I hate, like, I don't hate it to this day. Like, if someone put it on, I'd probably watch it. But I just feel like we watched it so much right. in high school. Too much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what he means is like by by the, the nature of simply volume, can can you become sick of a movie? And I think so. I think if you watch it too much, I don't know if there's anything for me that I've watched over like I have over three hundred movies in my DVD collection because I've collected movies since I was in high school, and there's lots of movies I, I went back and rewatched. I think there's a few comedies that I found funny when I was younger that I don't yeah. find as funny now um but i you know I, I don't think it's necessarily to the level of hate i just think it's i step away from things um and maybe i i grow or my interests change so i don't know if there's necessarily a movie i can give that i hate but i'm sure there's lots of comedies that i don't find as funny now that maybe i found funny and more interesting back then i can think of more movies that on rewatches i love it every even more and more <laughs> more than the positive yeah. than the negative which isn't this question but you know I, I yeah i don't think i can give a specific movie that i necessarily uh hate but definitely some comedies that i think about grown i think uh, that's the same goes with me. I'm sure there's lots of movies that I watched in high school that I absolutely loved, but if I was to watch now, you just wouldn't. It just wouldn't hit the yeah, same, right? Hit the same. Um, next question: Do you believe in the film rating system? G, PG, PG thirteen, R. Do you think it's still effective in what it was designed for? That's no. An interesting question. <laughs> no, you think no? I just, I mean, um, I think most people don't listen to it anymore. That's like, yeah, that's what I'm. <laughs> I think, like, Unless if I was, a, movies, I guess. yeah, I was going to say, if I was a parent, yeah. then I would be much more yeah. aware it's of more the ratings. Useful, I think, for parents than it is for anybody else. Yeah, and, like, making sure, like, oh, your, your 11-year-old isn't going to see, like, The Exorcist, yeah. right? Like, yeah. um, I think, like, it can be arbitrary. Like, I know... Um, a lot of um, actors have gone on record saying, like, their movie becomes less accessible once it gets the R rating and that, like, things that get the R rating seem, like, really subjective, like, like male nudity versus female nudity, like, what you're allowed to show um, that gets you the R rating um seems a little like out of date yeah and i think that a lot of a lot of people took take too much stock in we're gonna make an r-rated film and like that being the important thing not mm -hmm. whether or not the, sh the film is good or not so i think it's just another arbitrary thing that people are using like oh if it's r it's gonna be edgy but r doesn't necessarily mean that or, or have to mean that um there's lots of r-rated movies that i think are, are great it's just there's something in it that that is supposed to cue you like okay there might be violence so there might be something that that isn't appropriate for a certain age bracket i couldn't agree more with that i think like if it was like um like the video the video game um rating i don't play video games but like the mature versus like like i could see that being a better evolution yeah. of filming the film rating system like f for family <laughs> yeah, um yeah. m for mature like yes. that's really at the end of the day i just want to know can i show this to a kid um, and then once the kid's no longer a kid anymore, yeah. to me it's kind of like a free for all. Yeah, and that, that makes sense for that makes sense from coming from the lens of a parent, right? Like maybe it's simply the system is really good for that, you know? Yeah. Um, next question for Josh uh, from Josh is, uh, who's your favorite movie antagonist? Who's your favorite movie protagonist? My favorite antagonist is Hannibal, mm -hmm. like hands down. Yep. And then my favorite protagonist. Um, 
is Scarlett O'Hara, but she in a way is almost like her own antagonist. She's definitely like, um, she's not even an anti-hero in the sense that like she's a pretty crappy person, but I just find her so multi-layered, so interesting, like so compelling. Like I really see sort of the worst of myself in her as well as like possibly like the best um, so for that e- reason, Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind um, is my favorite quote unquote protagonist, even though I don't like love that description. Mm-hmm. And the same way that like I don't love how like Hannibal as an antagonist, because in a way like Hannibal to me is the protagonist of his own story. If we're thinking like like protagonist being like the hero and the antagonist being like the villain, right? Yes, like or I don't you're the antihero or the, yeah, the whatever's in whatever's there to stop. The yeah. protagonist from, yeah. So, like, yes, Hannibal is the antagonist in that sense. But I always, like, to me, again, he's such an interesting character. So multifaceted. Um, yes, he's, you can't really say he's an antihero because he is a cannibal. But, like, yeah. anyways, those would be kind of my. Yeah. If I were to pair them together, like, from the same movie, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Because I think, there, to me, there's no, in cinema that I've seen, I don't think I've seen a stronger, more interesting dynamic than that. Like, the. I mean, spoiler alert, but people should know this. The discovery that that your father isn't dead and that your father is someone who is um, the thing you've been trying to destroy. Everything you stand against. Yeah, for like a movie and a half, almost two movies, and then finding that out is, to me, what makes that extremely interesting. And it's one of the reasons why, to me, something like Star Wars will stand the test of time is not just because the action and there's like a good, there's like good things for us nerds or geeks or people who like love sci-fi. There's also this amazing story in there and there's this amazing character, which is why I think it stands the test of time. Um, cool. What is the your most undeserving Oscar winner for best picture? I have a couple. Um, they're more like in recent memory because so I had to like go through the, the Wikipedia page yeah, and once you get farther back... Because recency bias, right? You only kind of yeah. remember the <laughs> the new ones. Yeah. The farther back you get, you're like, yeah, I can see why that one. You know what I mean? But anyways, Green Book, yeah, Crash. Green Book, <laughs> Crash, definitely Crash. And Shakespeare in Love. I can't believe that Shakespeare in Love beat out Elizabeth. Now, hold on. Oh, you're right. You don't like Saving Private Ryan. Okay. I was going to say, wasn't Saving Private Ryan that year too? <laughs> but but either way. Like either way. Either one of those winning. <laughs> it beat out both of those. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's it. I definitely agree with you on Crash, um, for sure. What a mess of a movie. Yeah, Crash, I don't understand why. The, the, that makes no sense why it would have won anything. Um, I'm actually, okay, controversial take here, Titanic. Oh, I didn't even see that. Titanic beat Goodwill Hunting that year, which I think Goodwill Hunting is a better movie than Titanic. Titanic, but, I think, got it for the size of film. And but, we still talk about it. Like, yes, in do. terms of, like, legacy movie. But Goodwill Hunting has, has also, like, made an impact i mean there's lots of quotes that people still bring up from that like there's lots of things in that movie that i, I mean it launched two pretty big careers so to me yeah. i don't know i get it like i get titanic has a legacy thing to it but in terms of like what was the best film of what year was that 96 90 something 97 97 in 97 i mean to me that's like but it's one of those I guess it's one of those years where like those were like two really big movies and someone had to win so that's why like and the question was like what's the most undeserving right Um, and then one more controversial take because I just like to be controversial I think Forrest Gump is an extremely overrated movie what did it beat out that year though Um, I don't know what year because that was 94 I think 94 93 or 94 Um, I don't know what it beat out but I, I don't 
personally think it's a, but that's a good point though. Looking, it might be the best of the group that was there. Yeah. Um, I was more thinking in general of not maybe what should have won over it, but I, I just don't think Forrest Gump is a best picture movie. I think it's like a good movie. Oh, okay. This last question for both of us, and he has one for each of us. Uh, do you think, uh, do you think the trend towards heavy use of CGI movies is beneficial or detrimental to movies or does it depend on the movie? Um, detrimental. I, I, Okay, I think it depends because I think for some films it's been used well and for some films it's been used poorly. But I will say detrimental in the fact that I think it takes away some of the interesting creativity um, that used to happen in filmmaking. Um, so when it's overused and when it's used poorly, it can be, it can be bad. I hate that um, the trend towards CGI has in a way eliminated practical effects. Right. Where they think, well, if we can do this with CGI, why don't we don't need to use practical effects? But practical effects, nine times out of ten, looks more realistic than the oh, CGI. Totally agree with that. Couldn't agree more. Um, I think that 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 one hundred percent is true. <laughs> like I, every time I see practical effects, I enjoy it. Like a movie like Jaws, um, I think is still fantastic, and and I think it's better because you can't see too much of the shark and if you cgi'd it it would have been bad cgi especially at that time but anything anything cgi i don't think it can compare with the creepiness of of not knowing something's there so when people and filmmakers use cgi to show us the full monster or whatever it is i actually think that can hurt a movie so i agree with that wholeheartedly um quickly because we're running out of time here and i have a couple more questions to get through he does have a question for you we talked about your favorite horror movie, but which one was the scariest horror movie, Taylor, for you to watch? Right now, like as of yesterday night, Dan and I have actually started finally watching Chernobyl, the TV show. That has caused me a level of fear and anxiety, like unparalleled in horror film that I've watched in a really long time. But if the listeners don't know... Um, like a nuclear holocaust is literally my number one worst fear. So like what's happening in Chernobyl like is a real life fear of mine. Yeah. And it's like, this is real life. Like this isn't a horror movie. Yeah. This is so it's like, like a different type of fear. Yeah. yeah. It's like confronting my worst fears. So oh, Chernobyl, Chernobyl is so like gut wrenching. Like it's such a yeah. such a crazy film. I'm <laughs> well, sorry, series, I guess. But Mini you know, like, series, whatever yeah, you want to call it. Six episodes, yeah. Um and then in terms of like film film, like in sort of more recent in the last couple of years, it follows was a very um scary movie yeah. to watch. Um and then The Visit. Oh, which yes. like I don't know, like some people probably watch it and think it's silly, but like you, you again still talk about the visit and how it's scary. Oh my gosh, because Again, like, I'm a little bit, I'll be honest, um, like, elderly people with dementia, Alzheimer's, yeah. is, like, it's very, un- it's an unsettling concept yeah. to me, and that's, like, the premise of this movie is that they go visit some grandparents, and, like, the one, the grandma is, like, displaying signs of dementia, yeah. um, and so <laughs> it's, like, so, again, it's, like, really feeding into, like, my real-life fears and then like M. Night Shyamalan so there's like a real twist and the twist is really scary. It is a a very scary (laughs) twist no I agree and that to me was a a film where I was like okay M. Night Shyamalan is back like this is this this is brought back but I agree with you about the scary thing. But like granted like if you're not afraid of old people (laughs) like then like you're probably like oh this is goofy but like I don't know like if anyone's ever been to a dementia ward of a um, of a retirement home like It's like, 
spooky in real life. Oh, I, I, so I, I don't want to I offend agree. anyone, but like I have a lot of experience with yeah, that, I, and it's not nice. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, his last question is for me, Michael. You would rather be an actor in a movie or a television series? Also, since you picked a to live in the Star Trek universe in a previous question, I'd like to remind you of Red Shirts. <laughs> That's a book. Um, and the dangers that come with being in a background character in a Star Trek show slash movie. Okay, Josh. Um, so first of all, Josh, the fact that you would think I would be a background character in Star Trek um, <laughs> is offensive to me in ways that you'll never understand. You're the captain. Um, well, I don't know about I'm the captain, but I'm definitely, I'm something. I, I, I'm not a background character, and I would never put on a red shirt Josh. So we will discuss this at a later date. Um, but in terms of like an actor in a movie or television series, I get the appeal of wanting to act in a TV series because the schedule is more consistent. And even though you're paid a lot more for movies, it's more of a sporadic. Um, That's a TV's a steady paycheck. Yeah, and if you, you get a hit, it's not only a steady paycheck, but it, that's why people do TV series. You can last for several years. The royalties. Like movies, they'll get sick of you so fast as an actor. So I think if I was an actor, I would I would definitely try to land a TV series because that would be incredible. Yeah, and royalty mm-hmm. too. Yeah, like if you, especially like I, I keep thinking of of um, the show Bones, um, which the two lead actors put so much of their own money into it. Now that that's in syndication, they get so much money now. Uh, the Friends cast is still living off of Friends. <laughs> so, Seinfeld? Seinfeld, too. Yeah, if you have a hit that can run for... And these shows ran for a long time. Um, Friends had, like, what, 10 seasons? And Bones had, like, 12? Like, the, the, you can really uh, you can really make sure that your life is comfortable. Um, so thank you, Josh. You did bring your A-game there. Uh, Tyler Vance uh, is next up. He says, it was wonderful to hear from Wendy again, and I can vouch for her recommendation of Shirkers, a fantastic personal biopic documentary. I miss the screening room, something fierce. Uh, if, uh, if and when the seat plaques become a thing, I will definitely be pulling out the old checkbook. If I pledge my eventual firstborn, do you think I can get a theater named after me? Uh, probably not. Uh, you can try it, though. <laughs> but uh, I, I agree. I'm definitely going to buy a seat the minute uh, it becomes available. Yeah, what a cool idea. Yeah, I, I'm going to jump on that for sure. Uh, he continues to say, During this time of quarantine, my wife and I have taken uh, to having double feature Saturdays. She picks a movie in secret. I pick a movie in secret. We watch said movie over an entire bag of smart food. And then we try to find connections between them. Some combinations have been easy to connect, such as Disney's The Black Cauldron paired with Pixar's Onward. Others have required some stretching, like the Japanese film uh, Shoplifters with the old school nostalgia classics The Sandlot. (laughs) I don't know how that's A little different. Uh, And then others have just been so far removed from each other that it's almost impossible to find a connection. The combination of Syndromes and a Century from Thailand with the stand-up special I'm Starving comes to mind. Well, I don't know how they, uh, they find connections there. Uh, so he says, here's a question for you. What two movies do you think would make a good double feature? Um, which two movies do you think would make a terrible double feature? Regardless, double feature Saturdays are quite fun, so I recommend them for anyone um, with the advent of Netflix Party um, that could be now done over a long distance. A good way to spend a night in isolation. Sincerely, Tyler, I'll see you at the Her Smell post-quarantine screening. Mike's paying Vance. Yes, <laughs> my wife and I uh, also finished Star Trek The Next Generation last week. I may have a cry I am even more disappointed by Picard now. Ugh, Tyler, don't even. 
I don't even want to talk about Picard. I'm just going to go into a rant. Um, but on to his question. Any thoughts for double feature pairings that might be good or bad? I'll have to think about that one and maybe come back to you next episode. That is um, a tricky one. I mean... It's a great idea. Um, I mean, the double yeah. feature idea is a great idea. Um, I, mean, I am... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say something we talked about before. Now, one's not one's a documentary, one's a movie. But I still really like the teaming up of the Ted Bundy things that Netflix did. So there was the yeah. tapes, and then they had done a movie. And I had found that that combination actually worked out really well, not only because it was the same topic, but it kind of was like I watched the movie, and then the tapes go into such detail, but it also shows what did they do for dramatic effect, but also what was real. Like there were things in that movie that they took – that actually happened that from the tapes, and I thought that was so fascinating to watch that. So that's a good one. You can combine a documentary and a, and, a, and a feature film. I actually think that that's kind of a cool thing to kind of get more information of. And for me, that would make a great double feature. That's a good one. I just um, his uh, Netflix party reminded me on Saturday. Upperashed and Val and I did another Netflix party. Oh, what was on we, this? What was this one? <laughs> we watched Dracula. They oh, let Drac- me pick. Okay, yeah. 1990, like uh, Coppola's Dracula. Sure, yeah. So we could have made that a double feature if we weren't old ladies. We could have done that with maybe um, another vampire movie, like uh, Interview with the Vampire or um, Lost Boys. Which would have been a good. I think Lost Boys would be a really interesting comparison, com- like the companion with that, with with the Dracula. Yeah, like, I think that would be kind of a cool thing. Yeah, if you want to theme double features, that's kind of a cool way. And and I like that idea of like you pick you and someone else pick it in secret, and then you just see mm-hmm. is there a comparable here? Is there a way to connect these? I think it's very I've, fascinating. I've thought of two more if we have time. Go ahead. Heather's and. Um, the craft would be a good double feature if you're looking for like female high school um, kind of dark, dark stuff. Um, and Dumplin' and to all the boys I've loved before. That one, yeah. I think it's to all the boys I loved before. Okay. I um I want yeah. to throw one just again. Uh, so along maybe a theme of of kind of like kid team-up movies, like something like The Goonies with something more modern. Like, what was that? The Good Boys? Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. Good Boys and like Goonies or something, where it's like they're both like comedies, but completely of a different era, centered around children of around that same age going on an adventure together. And I think to see the difference between, here's something from like like what, the 80s versus something from, from or, the mid-2000s or the 2020s. Like, what would that look like? Goonies and It. Goonies and It. Yeah, that's another really good one. Yeah. Um, even if you want to go stand... I was going to say Stand By Me and It would be interesting. Because yeah. Stand By Me is also of a more serious tone. Not really horror, I think but has that dramatic tone to it. Also Stephen King. Stephen King. That's true. That's very true. You could have, like, a Stephen King night. Um, but, yeah, and maybe for next episode, let's think about some bad pairings. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fun for that. <laughs> We have time for a few more here because we have a okay. few quick questions. So Kathy writes in, hi, Mike and Taylor. Hope you are both well. I really enjoyed your interview with Wendy. It's great to hear her perspective as an independent business owner and to get some inside information on running a movie theater. I can't wait for the screening room to reopen to be able to enjoy movies and popcorn in the theater once again. Have you considered doing a classic theme for one of your movie clubs, such as Alfred Hitchcock, Humphrey Bogart, or Clint Eastwood movies? They've all changed so much over the decades, it might be interesting to revisit some of those classics. Until next week, Kathy. P.S. Several months ago, my mom broke her leg, and we listened to the podcast from day one. It's a fun thing to do while she was immobile. 
Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, a classic movies would be a good thing to do, like theming it like that. I think we have a couple ideas for, for a theme coming up in June. We're going to talk probably more about that next week um, as our next movie club. We're going to launch June 9th. So there'll be a two-week period where we'll talk about it and promote it a bit. But I, I think for future movie clubs, I think we could, we could follow a particular director or a particular film creator or maker and, and see how over time their films changed. Yeah, I'd like uh, that. Because I, I actually, you know, it might be a controversial take with, with some of uh, his politics, but seeing how Clint Eastwood has changed as a filmmaker is actually very interesting because he has a widespread amount of directing films where he did, you know, he went from doing something like Jersey Boys um, to some of the, like, more hardcore, um, the movie with the boxing movie he did, um, Million dollar baby, million dollar baby, baby, like very different tonally, but again from the same director, and and it's interesting to kind of look at those sorts of uh, comparisons. So yeah, I think that could be interesting to do something more classic. Cool, I'm down. Uh, another question here, quickly from anonymous: Do you have any recommendations for fish lovers? Are there any aquatic documentaries you might recommend on Netflix? Um, I don't know any off the top of my head, but I know there's lots of um, there's lots of those like. Uh, from the, from the BBC, they like created, nature like, documentary, yeah, like the the Blue Planet series created a bunch of uh, spinoff series that are all fo focus on different um, different parts of like the ocean or different parts of like sea life. So that might be something interesting to check out. Is like just searching Blue Planet and seeing what comes off of that um, if you're interested in an aquatic. But of course, you you know the Wes Anderson film. Maybe. Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic <laughs> might be kind of interesting <laughs> as if, if you're a fish lover. Well, the first part of the question, I'm a recommendations for fish lovers. And I'm like, oh, well, of course, The Shape of Water. But then he said uh, documentaries. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Well, I mean, <laughs> The Shape of Water, I guess. But I mean, that's, that's very much. It's, a different, kind of, it's yeah. a different kind of fish lover. Yes, different kind of fish love. Um, but if you're just interested in in actual thing like documentaries and, and like fish stories yeah i think the bbc does a pretty good job with their nature documentaries and if you get disney plus national geographic is part of that they have everything when it comes to to amazing documentaries um there was one i watched recently on on apes i think it was just called apes and it was very very fascinating so they will definitely have things on different types of fish um, i haven't like, seen this documentary but it's been widely acclaimed blackfish Blackfish, about yeah. orca whales it's or sorry killer whales watch. it's very oh tough. okay very well i know tough. people talk about it a lot <laughs> they do i know <laughs> but i'm telling you taylor it's extremely okay tough. so if, if you're a fish lover maybe don't watch that maybe one because it'll just make you sad one. yeah um just before we finish i we had three fans write in tiffany brandon and c all wrote in about a tv show called hashtag black af which is on, uh, that's actually the name of it. It's hashtag Black AF. That's the name of the, the show. It's a mini series, I guess. But it's only got about eight episodes on Netflix. And it's from the creator of uh, the TV show Blackish. Um, and it's actually about that creator's life. Um, so it's sort of kind of like auto, not really autobiographical, because it is, it is a comedy. And the whole, it's another sitcom type show that is filmed in the style 
of uh, kind of modern family where it's like uh, someone's it's an interview. Um, the basic concept is that his daughter wants to go to film school and she has to make a documentary about the family in order to get in and you basically see this. What's really fascinating about it and I do recommend if you're a big fan of film industry stuff to check this out because he goes into a lot of really interesting details about what it's like um, to be a black filmmaker and writer in, in the film industry, the positives and the negatives that come with it. So I, I just want to, because we don't have a lot of time, I'm going to maybe talk more about it on next week's show. I know we're doing our Tiger King episode next week, but uh, just because we're out of time here, I do want to quickly give a, a shout out to uh, Black AF if you're interested in, in that type of comedy. It's not for everyone. The comedy's not for everyone, but I will say it's a, it's a fascinating show. Um, and I really do recommend uh, checking it out. And I'll talk a little bit more about it next week and throw some stuff online up about it. But, uh, Gaylor, we have one more question Woo. that we forgot. we got to get to that question beforehand. So this question is, what is the best movie sequel you've ever seen and the worst movie sequel you've ever seen? So, Taylor, do you have a thought on, on that? What's the best and worst sequel? Um, I have two, Paddington 2 and Adam's Family Values. Adam's Family Values. Okay, you th you didn't think that that held up? No, these are the the ones that I think were the best. Oh, the best. Sorry. Okay, those were your good yeah. ones. Okay, yeah. Paddington Two okay. and Adam's Family Values, and then which I bad. think, and then the bad ones are Gremlins Two and Home Alone Three. <laughs> Home Alone Three is terrible. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, Home Alone Three is terrible. I remember watching it when I was young, being like, "Where is Macaulay Culkin?" Like, yeah. just like so confused. Yeah. There's some movies that like just make no sense to have a sequel. Like for me, uh, the the Men in Black movies, every one since the first one has been hugely disappointing. Every Men in Black sequel has been terrible, and it goes under my my kind of bad category. The same with like Spider Man Three, where they're just like they're just awful. They're just like, not. It's good. just a cash cow at that point. Yeah, and there's um, like Spider Man Three has a few redeeming qualities to it, but there's nothing really good about the multiple Men in Black movies. Like, the first one was so interesting and unique and different, but they just tried to do too much to create a sequel. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a couple sequels that really shocked and surprised me. Like, I, I've consistently been um, shocked that Toy Story movies have been as good as they are, um, all the various sequels that they've had. I, I thought after the third one they were done, and then the fourth one came out, and I'm like, this was actually really good. So I would say, like, some of the, like, the Toy Story sequels I've never been disappointed with. Um, so those, would I would say, were some of the better ones, and, and maybe even just because of the surprise factor, you know, that I didn't know that they were going to be that good. I think, um, as a rule, I've probably missed out on a lot of really bad sequels because when it's been, if there's been a lot of time between the original and the sequel, um, or if they've replaced the director or writer, or if they've, like, recast the main yeah. leads, those to me are all signs that, like, this is probably going to go downhill. Those are, like, pretty bad signs that something, you're going to get something that, that you maybe you didn't want out of a sequel. Because to me, like, I don't have no problem with sequels as a general rule, but it's just only if you have something particularly to say. Like, if there's something that, that makes sense to continue that story and then do it. But when you're replacing the filmmakers, you're going to get something completely different out of it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like, I can think of so many... Um, well, like, when I was doing a little bit of research for this episode or, like, getting my notes ready, um, which we don't normally do, but today uh, there were some questions we wanted time to think about. But um, yeah. I was doing a little bit of research, and, like, there's, like, sequels I ha didn't even know were a thing. Like, yeah. American Psycho 2... 
like, like anything like that direct to video type of yeah thing. used to do that yeah the direct to video sequels yeah. like i know like um the crow one of my favorite movies that has like two or three direct to dvd sequels like yeah. no thank you no, no. interest no. um lost boys has a sequel no interest yeah. yeah so i think i've just saved myself a lot of grief by avoiding what I know is going to be a bad one. Yeah, and again, I, mean? I think certain types of movies lend themselves to sequels, and then when certain movies are like, okay, we're doing a sequel of this, I'm like, why? Like, okay, Mamma no, Mia 2, you... you know, was on my list of bad no, sequels. Like, I liked Mamma Mia 2. I know you did. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I didn't, and I think it was dumb to make a sequel of a movie, and they want to do, like, an Into the Woods 2, and I don't know, they'll probably do a Cats 2. Oh, probably. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think sequels can be a really bad idea or a really good idea, depending upon what you want to do with it but yeah oh, those are those are just some examples of sequels that like why are you making this into a sequel not good and we're at the end of this week's episode next week is tiger king um so definitely check that out go stream some movies thank you for listening to the screening in kingston podcast recorded at cfrc at queen's university in kingston ontario queen's university sits on the traditional lands of the hananoshabi and anashabi peoples we would like to thank the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences and the CFRC Podcast Network.